Pastor Xavier Reese with simple truths for making an investment in eternity. 1 Timothy 1, 6-8 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Proverbs 22, 2 says, The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Through our verse-by-verse look into the epistle of James, chapter 1, we found him dealing with the question of how a Christian is to act under trials. He said that we should count it all joy when we encounter such trials, as we realize that they are able to bring about a positive quality in our lives. But saying that is one thing. Putting it into practice is quite another. And so, he moves to a practical illustration of an area where Christians come under trial, and that's in the area of finances. With simple truths for rich or poor, here's our teacher, Pastor Xavier. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 9 and 11. James continues his theme of faith being tested with the attitude of joy through the process of patient growth, development, and maturity while seeking God for wisdom continually. Now James turns to exhort the poor in the testing of their faith contrary to the rich. And it's marked by three things. Let me read here. Verse 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. The exhortation to the poor regarding their testing of their faith is marked by the following. First, you have the proclamation of contrast of the poor and rich in verse 9 and 10. Secondly, you have the illustration of constant death of the rich in 11. And the final one is just one little sentence, the application of common death of the rich at the end of verse 11. Let's begin here with the proclamation of conduct of the poor and the rich. Notice in verse 9, James made his transition from the contrast of the stable person, confidently depending and trusting God with the double-minded person, to a contrast of economics now. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. The identity of the individual is clearly indicated. The word but appears in the Greek text, but not in the English text. It often is a contrasting conjunction, but in our text it serves as a continuum and transition of the theme of the test of faith to be encountered with joy. It goes back to verse 2. The word brother, Adolphus, we've seen it before. It indicates the spiritual state of a believer. 
by hearing the gospel and being convicted by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit illuminates an individual to recognize that they are a sinner and then recognizing that, agreeing with God and repenting of their sins and asking Jesus to forgive them. There's no other way that men can be saved apart from the gospel and the illuminating work of the Spirit of God and the agreement with God and calling upon him to save them. No other way. No works, no nothing. Many times people look to the book of James as uh, works as contrast to faith of, of Paul. No, Paul is talking about faith and James is talking about faith. They're talking about faith from different perspectives. Paul is talking before the cross to believe only in Christ's work of atonement and James is talking about the faith that you've trusted in Christ alone. Simple. The focus is not works on either one of them. Just a different perspective of faith. Before the cross, after the cross. Now the word lowly means um, not rising far from the ground. It's used of one in grief, cast down or depressed. It's used of one who is humble. It is used for the Christian here who is in poverty. That's another way it's used. Financially poor, socially, economically, depressed. They don't have all the means for life or they don't have abundance of things, but they make their way through life. The word lowly is emphatic in the Greek, focusing on the poor. He's, he's dealing with the poor right now, economically. The context helps us to determine the poor to refer to these who are in an economic way that are not as well off as what he's going to contrast to the rich. But the contrast is evident by the mention of the rich in verse 10, and you can't miss it. And the contrast is affirmed by the application to the rich at the end of verse 11. Now, notice the instruction to the financially poor brother is to rejoice. The Greek has the proclamation, let glory. That's how the Greek stands at the start of the sentence. It's an imperative, a command, because they're Christians. They can, they can give this imperative. You as a parent, when you give an imperative command to your children, you're doing it because you know that they can carry it through. They can carry it out. You don't ask anything unreasonable for your child. And the same here. The poor Christian is to glory, which means to boast or to take pride, but in a good sense, not in a fleshly, sinful manner. The imperative command is to boast in his spiritual exaltation. James is dealing with the reality of life. People that are poor go through more difficulties than people who have money. How to make ends meet. Now the context, as we'll see, is a little different for these guys too because it's kind of cranked up the pressure because of persecution. The word exaltation means the, the highest state or status and station of a person. The fact that they were sons and daughters of God. You got to bring your thoughts in captivity when things go bad and things get cloudy and remember who you are that you are a child of God. The fact that they were in fellowship with the creator and savior of the world while everybody else is groping around trying to find out through all these other gods, so-called. The fact that they were spiritually wealthy despite the sharp contrast of their physical property, waiting patiently for their rich inheritance in the kingdom of God because the kingdom is present and yet to come. There are many promises that we hang on by faith that will be fulfilled in the future. But even the promises that are now available to us, they're realized by the sovereign work of God through us. But it never means perfection. 
It never means that we're to be wealthy and healthy like a lot of the positive confession people and dominion and kingdom theology church teaches. It's completely foreign to the New Testament. The condition of poverty for many of these Hebrew Christians had been imposed on them due exactly because of their faith. They had been excommunicated by and from the synagogue and family. When the Jew believed in Christ Jesus, it was like the person had died. They had been denied the wealth of their inheritance often because they became Christians. They were marked and denied employment and their businesses went broke. They, in their condition of poverty through the many trials, were to encounter them with joy, focusing upon their wealth in Christ, not deceiving themselves, not being fools, for it's a reality. I think that we as Americans now are starting to get a little glimpse of some of the things that we've been studying for years, the reality of persecution and pressure towards the Christian, where even 10, 15 to 20 years ago, though you might be a Christian, you could still go to universities and you would get one or two or a handful that would pressure and mock you. But now when you go to the universities, you're like um, a wounded animal in the middle of hyenas. We're seeing it through the regular public school system. We're seeing it from legislators. And so we start getting a little glimpse of some of the things that we've been studying that were so foreign to us. If you're at work and you have your Bible on your desk or your table, your employer most likely will tell you that you can't have your Bible there. And if you insist, it may cost you your job today. So again, we get a little glimpse of what we've been studying about for years. Later on, not at this point, but later on, many of the church members were slaves. So they, were, they didn't own anything. When the Gentiles are coming in and a lot of other people. Now look at verse 10. James um, affirmed his transition to be a contrast. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. The contrast is clearly marked by the word but. The person identified is the rich in contrast to the poor in verse 9. The contrast of the rich and poor fills the letter. James is very concerned about these Hebrew Christians who have been scattered through persecution and have lost much of their inheritance, their homes, and their family ties, and they are being persecuted under poverty. Notice the individual indicated as rich is not stated to be a brother in the text. There are those who argue that the word brother, Adelphus, should and could be carried over to the rich. This position takes both the poor and the rich to be Christian. There are others who argue the word brother should only be carried to the one and not to the rich because it's not indicated. To the one it is, the other one is not. This position interprets them to be in contrast, in a very clear contrast, Christian and non-Christian. I believe this is what it's saying. 
But rather than just tell you what I believe and that that's what you have to believe, which I, I'm not telling you to, there are three important factors that will help us to determine which is the right interpretation. First, the content of the context. Notice the identity of the rich is not indicated to be a brother. It may be real simple. You're saying, come on, are you kidding me? Listen to me. Inductive Bible study means you only record and observe what is present. You don't record what is not present. You cannot teach from the absence of Scripture. If a brother is not next to it, you don't put him as a brother unless the Greek grammar indicates it. Okay? Simple. Secondly, the one to pass away in the second part of verse 10 is the rich man in contrast to the poor believer. It doesn't mean that the poor believer doesn't die, but that's not the focus. It's a contrast of the one who is poor in the Lord materially and the one who has riches and he's perishes, okay? And thirdly, the application of the one fading away, which is perishing, is also the rich at the end of verse 11. Those three things would lean me to accept that only one is a Christian, the poor one, and the rich one is a non-believer based on the inductive study, what I find in here, okay? Now, the contrast of one suffering, the other one not suffering, that's the point. If they were, are both Christians, both would be suffering. If so then the exhortation to the poor believer is useless, right? It wouldn't make any sense. You'd destroy the point. Now, the content of the book regards the rich. As I said earlier, James rebukes the Christian in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, who show favor to the rich concerning the congregation against the poor. And he warns them, careful, the guy with the ring, don't put him up front just because he's got the ring. Okay? So he warns him. In chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, James says the rich oppress the poor by dragging them into court and blaspheming the name of Jesus. Those rich have to be unbelievers. So it's very clear that you have to look at the context. Now, we'll see that other portions dictate Christian wealthy people. So the context is very, very important. Now, the internal evidence links to the rich then, being an unbeliever. He is instructed to boast in his humiliation, his low state as a mortal sinful man, having only judgment, the judgment of God to look to. There's a contrast. The present imperative implies also the rich. Let the rich glory in his humiliation, not in pride of his wealth or possessions in life. Notice the reason James gives for the rich man to have a humble perspective about himself is from nature. As the flower of the field will pass away. He is temporal. As the poor Christian, not eternal. He's temporal. Because when the Christian dies, he has eternal life with Jesus. Now, eternal life does not just mean you live forever. Eternal life means that you have a quality of life 
that you live a God-like life, and as you pass this life, then you move on to live that life continually with Jesus Christ, who is God. If you're a non-believer, you will also live eternally, but eternally separated from God. So there's a big difference, okay? The proverb is an illusion, not a word-for-word quote from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. So it goes all the way down to verse 11, the whole quote. The figure of speech is another simile introduced by the word as a flower of the field, indicating the rich man. As in verse 6, for the double-minded man, that simile was as the wave of the sea. So James takes his illustrations from nature. Paul takes many of his illustrations from the athletic metaphor of competition. The rich man will pass away, it says, meaning his life will terminate, come to a close. The rich man will die like all other human beings, but there's a different effect when he dies, as we'll see. His wealth cannot buy him immortality. No amount of money can buy one's health. No amount of money can buy one's happiness. No amount of money can keep you from dying. I heard, I'm not sure if it's true, but I heard that when Chavez was about to die, he told his people around him, don't let me die. Big mouth Chavez. He cries out like a little girl. Why? Because he knows. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Men with wealth and power do what they want, as they want, to whom they want, as despots. But when it's their turn, it's a whole different matter, isn't it? Now, two brothers grew up on a farm. One went away to college, earned a law degree, became a very prominent partner in the law office, was very prestigious in the state capitol, and consequently he became very wealthy. The other brother stayed in the family farm, working hard. And one day his brother, that great lawyer, came in and visited his brother on the farm, and he asked him, why don't you go out and make a name for yourself and hold your head up high in the world like me? The brother pointed and said, you see that field of wheat out there? Look closely. Only the empty heads stand up. Those that are well filled always bow low. I like that. The believer is to rejoice over the exalted spiritual position and wealth in Christ. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Blessed by the words of Jesus. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He fell through pride. That's the indication. Behold, I give you the authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any mean, by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, 
but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are now worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Insight. Perspective. The Christian is spiritually wealthy in Christ, making him truly rich on so many levels. The believer knows the answer to the age-old question, how did man get here? Why are we here? So he doesn't have to waste his life seeking out all the lies to see which one he's going to believe. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, as they're worshiping before heaven and the altar, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. For the believer... It's a done deal. It's no, a no-brainer. You have the answer to what some people search for all their life and die not finding it. And so they make many mistakes in life. They waste their life putting their energies and their money in the wrong things rather than the right things. A believer can know and understand the word and the will of God for his life. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says... But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. As you study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God would show you and reveal to you and, and convict you and I of how wealthy we are and all that's at our own access. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3 says. A believer can depend on God for his needs, living in contentment, not in envy or covetousness. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This doesn't exclude your hard work. This doesn't exclude your preparing for life whether it be in a, some trade or education, you have to seek God and prepare yourself. But God is going to direct and guide you, give you the wisdom and open those doors. First Timothy 1, 6 through 8 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Now we have to listen to the man who's saying this. Okay? This is not some pastor that lives up in a $3 million house. This is Paul the Apostle. All right? Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessings of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The rich person who is not a Christian is just living to amass more wealth and do good works, and then one day die. Pretty empty. Proverbs 22, 2 says, The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The proclamation of contrast of the poor and the rich is as clear as night and day. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with some encouraging simple truths for the believer of humble means, who yet has something in which to glory, his position in Christ. Now, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And as we've had to break only partway through this study, we hope you'll be back next time for the conclusion. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Insight for the Poor Through Trials. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, that title, once again, is Insight for the Poor Through Trials. Or simply mention today's date when you get in touch. And you can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 800- 926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure you tell us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. We use this information to help us measure the efficiency of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 